Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. This morning, if you have your bulletins, you can check out the front of them. You'll notice that we're starting a new message series. And this has become a little bit of a tradition for us around this time of year, late winter, early spring, before Easter, we take a second to have a small message series that, that points us as a church, as families, as individuals towards a little bit of kind of our vision of who we see ourselves being and a little bit of, of, a, of a pull to our heart. And we actually kind of have a question with that message series that, that the question kind of pulls at us a little bit. And so last year, our question was this. We, we studied the book of Jonah, and we asked ourselves, who are we sharing this with? And so that meant everything. That meant here, our church experience, but it also meant the ministries we participate in, the things that we do at home, at school, at work, in the community, and to recognize, as we talk about that who, that the truth is, the who was more important than the this or the it. Who are you sharing this with? The who is the most important to recognize that that our investment in people in everything we do is more important than what we're actually doing, right? That people are more important and they have more value than whatever it is that we do. And so this year as we come into this, we have a new question. We're going to be looking at the book of Ruth and Ruth draws our hearts to the ability that we have to impact the lives around us, but to stay present in that. And so we're going to be asking ourselves this question, who is in front of us? Who is in front of you? I spent the last years of high school and the first years of college working at an incredible gas station called Sheets. It is a wonderful place. And when I say incredible, I do not say that sarcastically in any way. Sheets is fantastic. And I absolutely believe that. I love sheets. I'm disappointed that we don't have sheets around here. But if you, if you ever have the chance to go down to Pennsylvania and Virginia, that direction, make sure you stop at sheets. It is a wonderful, wonderful place. Now working at sheets, I experienced something really quickly there that the greatness of sheets does not happen by accident. And maybe, and I don't know how other gas stations run, and it is a gas station with a lot of awesome other things, but I don't know how other gas stations run, but I imagine they don't run with the purpose that Sheets does. Everything there is thought through, it is scripted, it is figured out to, to make it the best experience ever. For example, my favorite job there was to work in the MTO station, that's the made-to-order food station, and to, to make food. And every food item, and they had all kinds of options from subs to salads to most importantly hot dogs, because what's a gas station without hot dogs, right? Is, is that everything was scripted. And so when you would make a hot dog there, which let me just say, I have probably had hundreds of hot dogs at Sheets. I, I don't say that in an exaggerated way. It's the unfortunate truth for me. Um, but I have, when you have those hot dogs, there's a script. So when you have the pretzel bun, you start with that. But yes, they have hot dogs with pretzel buns, by the way. That's wonderful already, right? And, and you start with that, but if you're putting together a chili cheese dog, there's a system to that. You don't just put the hot dog in there. You first layer the cheese, and that's important because you're, 
you're concocting something wonderful and you put that cheese in there and the bread is made to kind of soak and sponge and kind of handle that and then you can put your hot dog in nestled in that cheese you get it pressed down in there and it the cheese fills around the sides and that's what you want right like you want this entire concoction put together and then it is only then that you put the chili sauce that has no beans in it because that would be the worst right it's just a meat wonderful chili sauce and it is wonderful and fantastic and it's perfectly made and it's just a thing of beauty. It really is. And, and it's why I ate way too many of them. They were wonderful and fantastic, but it's all figured out, right? It's all figured out. It goes further than that. I think it speaks a little bit to kind of how we, we can get roped into a process, right? If you have the opportunity to work at the counter, at the register at Sheets, you are drilled into the process of what you're supposed to do in that moment from the time someone steps up to that register. And honestly, after doing that three to four years, you could probably stick me, even though it's 15 to 20 years later, you could stick me in front of that register. And I imagine all of those things would click back immediately into place from the moment they come to the process that we should lead till the ending words of that experience where you say to the person very specifically, very specifically, you ask the person, will there be anything else? Will there be anything else? And you specifically have to say a phrase just like that. It is important for so many things, for the next person in line, for that experience, for the total, for what you're doing, for the experience. It even goes down into the liability for if, say, that person decided to sneak a little candy bar into their pocket and not want to pay for that, to ask that question, which now holds them liable for what they have and what they've surrounded themselves in the whole experience. Will there be anything else? Will there be anything else? Now, that's a wonderful and great thing, right? And it, it's so spread out until, until there's that person who has been to Sheets time and time again, and they're just coming in to pick up a quick drink and to get out, and, and they're in a rush, and they're in a moment, and they put their Mountain Dew on the register or right there in the counter, and they say, this is it. This is all. And like, ah, <laughs> because, because now I am caught in that moment where I understand they get it. <laughs> I understand what they're saying, but like because of like this is a true thing because there are secret shoppers in the store which I had once and I got a full like 100% score on just so you would know like in that. And that's a big deal because it doesn't just impact like your store store rating, but it actually impacts the uh, the potential bonuses that people get out of the end of that like period of service. So like it's a big deal that you do it right. They come up and say this is everything and then you have to stand there ah but will there be anything else? <laughs> and you have to go through that awkward moment. And it kind of is that reminder, right, that, that we have systems, these practices, and, and, you know, that's not just sheets, right? That's kind of like regular life, isn't it? We, we go through this practice where we connect with people and we go through these moments, and, and we, we get so built into the system, into the moment, into whatever that we, we forget who is there right in front of you? We live in a world where we so easily pass people by, don't we? We live in a world where our relationships are more often than not on a screen right in front of us. We live in a world where so many things are scripted and where, where we kind of get off the script when we get out of that path, people almost become an inconvenience and it's so much easier to just move by them. And so we ask this question, who is in front of you? Who is in front of you? 
One of my Lenten goals has been to be more present. I don't know about you, but I can get easily distracted. I don't know about you, but I can set my mind. I can get my mind set on certain specific things. I can become overwhelmed by life and by what is happening in the world around me. I can allow myself to become drained, to become self-focused, to become self-righteous. Pressures from work, from family, from life, divisions with people for one reason or another, they can all sit right there in the center of my mind. All of that and more, it leads me to forget the answer to this simple question, who is in front of me? Who in my life right now needs me? Who needs me? Who is in front of you? When we ask that question, we mean it both figuratively and actually very literally. Yes, we mean who in the, in the greater picture of your life needs you right now? Who's relying on you? But we also mean, yes, who literally is standing before you now and needs, deserves, desires your full, your undivided attention and investment in their lives? Who is in front of you? Who is in front of you? The book of Ruth, in the book of Ruth, we find that it is filled with powerful lessons for each and every one of us, especially in this idea of the impact we can have on those who stand right before us. In the book of Ruth, we are going to see the power of love. We are going to see the strength of daily faithfulness, the risk and reward of trusting others, and the power that we can all have in blessing others in our lives. In all of that, we see something very simple but incredibly powerful. People being God's love and provision in the world simply by being aware of the people and opportunities right in front of them. We see what can happen when God's people choose to be present and focus on the need before them. As we begin our study in the book of Ruth, this is the first thing we see. We see the incredible value and importance in being faithful, in faithfulness. Being faithful, it means being loyal, steadfast, and constant. It means that just because someone in your life is messy, just because someone is a lot of work, just because someone is possibly difficult to be even around, it means that we still won't back down from being there for them. We see these qualities in the first chapter of Ruth, page 258 in your pew chair Bibles. As we read this, I encourage each and every one of us to see how easy it would be and it would have been for Ruth to give up for, on her mother-in-law, Naomi. But she refused, refused to back down. She refused. She stayed faithful even in an incredibly difficult moment. Now, through this series, as we did with the book of Jonah, we're going we're gonna to go chapter by chapter for four weeks in a row. And each chapter, we're actually going to read the entire chapter. It is a good bit of reading. It's 22 verses. It's not the end of the world, but I think there's value in us reading the story in full. And by the time we're done with this, you can say that you read a book of the Bible, and that's not a bad thing either. And so we're going to look at this so you understand where we find ourselves in the book of Ruth. Ruth is a small book in the Old Testament. As we said, it's only four chapters. It takes place during the time of the Judges, around 1100 BC. And so this is a moment in Israel's history where this is after they've been in Egypt and they've, that Moses has brought them to their freedom. They've wandered around in the desert for 40 years in the wilderness. And then they make their way to the promised land. They're now settled in the promised land, but they haven't reached that time 
where God has brought them king. So King David, King Solomon, those people are not around yet. And so they're ruled by these judges who pop up for just a few moments to kind of handle situations or handle invading countries or things like that. And so it's in that setting that we find Ruth. I would encourage you in that. It's important that we know kind of those details, but also it's important to recognize how relatable this moment that happened in 1100 BC is to us and to our relationships that we have today. So this is what Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, this is how it starts. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she left with her two sons. She was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah, and if you're seeing Oprah, that's okay. My brain says Oprah as well. I'll probably call her Oprah here in the future. That's all right. It's all right. One named Oprah or Orpah and the other Ruth. After they lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where they had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your own mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in uh, the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. As they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Here in verse 16, pick up the value and the faithfulness in Ruth's words. Verse 16, it says, but Ruth replied to her, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned to Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Over the past few months, 
I've been putting in some time and efforts and resources into creating a space for our children in our basement. The idea is pretty simple. Create a space where kids can be kids and give them that space. And it it makes sense, right? Put that in the basement where I don't have to think or worry about it. Hopefully, that is the idea. And it makes sense. In, In their rooms or their living rooms, they play and do those kinds of things, but those spaces have to be used for other things. And so we're regularly cleaning them up and organizing them. And if you know my wife, Julie, and I, you know that when I say cleaning things up, you know that that means complete and utter order because everything has its place and it needs to be set in that way, shape, and form. And that is the way we live. And I won't speak for Julie, but I will admit that I have a problem. And that's okay. I have a problem when it comes to things being in certain order and place, and that is okay. It's probably not healthy, but it is what it is. So this idea should be good, right? Give the kids a space where they can be kids, play, leave toys out, that kind of thing. But then came the problem. I started working on this space, and it kind of turned out to be kind of nice. I actually really like it. It's a pretty cool and fun space, and and I want to be a part of that space too, right? But then with me comes, like, my things, right? Like, my, like, ability to have, like, everything in order, right? Yeah, all of that kind of stuff comes with it. And just recently, the test appeared, test day. The space is not 100% finished, but it's pretty close, and, and it's pretty set. And a day came where our kids decided in that space to play with some Legos, When I say Legos, that doesn't mean just a few Legos. That means Legos, right? Lots of Legos. Every Lego, it seems, that's been created in the entire world was now all over. If you just like violently threw up Legos all over the space, you could not get more Legos out and all over the area. They are everywhere, on the floor, under the couch, on the couch, on the giant beanbag, under things, on the counters, by the TV. Like they're everywhere in this space, everywhere. I'll be honest with you, knowing that it's there, it makes me itch a little bit, right? Like knowing that the mess is there, it's a problem. I have a problem. I recognize the problem. It is there. I will be honest with you, so far, so far, I haven't touched it. If you went down into our basement, you would find the Legos there right now. In fact, I have encouraged, (laughs) I have encouraged the play in this space. I've encouraged the mess. It has been difficult, but I've done it. Why? Because I realized that kids, and, and let's be further honest, not just kids, but people, everyone, we are messy sometimes. And, and mess is a part of it. And I won't allow, and I won't let a mess stop me from being fully involved and invested in their lives as I need to be. I won't let the potential for mess stop me from giving them the space, the things, the needs that they deserve and desire from me. As we're introduced to Naomi and Ruth, we find a mess, don't we? We find a mess. Their lives are a mess, specifically Naomi's lives in this moment. It is a mess. We start with her physical life, the things we see, it's a mess. Naomi is in a foreign land, Moab. She has just lost her husband, and then she lost her two sons. She's in a foreign land. She has no support except for her son's wives, Orpah, Oprah, and Ruth. She is there, and it's a mess. Her situation is a mess. What's worse, and it it is worse, right? We recognize that her attitude's a bit of a mess as well, isn't it? Her attitude is a mess. Her emotion's a bit of a mess. We could probably throw out the bit. It's a mess. It's a large mess, actually. It's so much of a mess that she renames herself. Like, she's embraced it, right? She renames herself. She says, call me Mara because I am very bitter. 
We've been around bitter people, but the worst kind of bitter people are the people who like embrace the bitterness and like, oh, this is who I am. You're going to have fun with me because I, I am going to be great to be around. Here we go. That is where she's at. And, and hear me say this. I'm not condemning Naomi. She has every right to be bitter, doesn't she? In this situation, I would be a mess. I don't want to speak for you, but probably you would be a mess too. And that is all okay, but she is still a mess. And in this moment, she's that kind of person that none of us really want to be around, right? Bitter to the core. She owns it. She knows it. She is a difficult person, a difficult person in this moment. What's worse? Oh, yes. The situation is more of a mess even still. It is worse. Honestly, this is something I never even considered until my research for this message today. What's worse is Naomi's spiritual life is a mess too, isn't it? It always registered to me that Naomi was upset with God for what happened to her, but I never considered the part her own sin and guilt played into that. Yes, God allowed bad things to happen to her. She is upset, but her separation from God came a long time before those things started to happen, right? And isn't that how it works? When we, are, when we are living a life that we know is not in line with God, right, and then the bad things happen to us, we get over here and we start to point the finger and we, we, we don't want to point the finger at the, the, the bad things, the, the darkness that's inside of us. We want to point it at all the other things that are responsible. Well, God did this to me. God, God's at fault here. We don't point it where it really is. See, Naomi knows that she's been living in sin, living against God's law, hasn't she? When things got difficult in Bethlehem, in God's promised land for his chosen people, Naomi and her people, when things got difficult, what did she do? She ran away. She left God's promised land. And then when things got further difficult in the promised land, living with foreigners, she allowed, she further broke God's law by allowing her sons to marry foreign women, something that was specifically at this time in history said by God, do not do that. Do not do that, but she did. And so we see Naomi returning home in spiritual disgrace. She has sinned, and in many ways, she is returning home with her daughters along, and with them along, it only makes the matter worse, right? Because it says to everybody who sees her, wait a minute, who are they? What are they doing with you? And it draws that sin to light for everyone to see. This may be some of the reason why she, she so passionately Ask Oprah and Ruth to leave, right? To save herself from further embarrassment. Naomi's life is a mess, isn't it? It's a mess. Do you happen to know anyone like that? Do you happen to know anyone in your own life who's a bit of a mess? Someone whose life seems to be a bit of a mess? Someone whose choices are a mess? Their attitude is a mess? Their, their situation is a mess? their lifestyle, spiritual life, their politics, all of those are potentially a mess. They're, they're just a mess. What do we do with these situations? And what happens if we allow ourselves to get involved with them, right? I don't know about you, but what I've experienced is the more I get involved, the more we get involved, the more we try to invest, the more we try to help, guess what happens? The more their mess becomes whose mess, right? Becomes our mess, it becomes my mess. Have you ever felt that someone else's mess starting to become yours? Nope, don't want it, right? I don't, don't want to do anything like, I'll help you out, but once that starts to happen, oh my. And you feel that pull to get flighty. 
There are some messes around me in my life right now, and I feel their mess starting to impact me, and I feel that pull, right, to want to bail on them, right? To quote Lloyd Christmas from the movie Dumb and Dumber, big gaps, huh? Big gulps, huh? Welp, see you later. And there's that in me, right? That desire to simply say, welp, see you later. It is so easy to want to bail on others when they are a mess. I don't know about you, but I don't enjoy other people's messes becoming my own. But messes are a part of life, aren't they? And if we want to have an impact, if we want to be faithful with other people, messes are a part of that. Last spring, some individuals of our church, we got together and we drove to Erie and we participated in something called a terrain race. It was three miles or so of, of running and obstacles and, and fun, we'll call it. And honestly, it was done in fun and it was enjoyable. Day of the race, though, it rained and it rained a lot, a lot. Rain. You know what rain creates? It creates mud. Our race wasn't the first heat, and so by the time we actually ran, everything was mud. Everything was mess. Mess and mud were everywhere. But honestly, the mud made it more fun, didn't it? It did. It made it more fun. I actually think it was better with the mud. But then again, it was my mud. It was my mess. And it's amazing how ready I would be in that kind of situation to jump in the mud and have fun because it's my mess. But then take my boys and put them in an area which right now is everywhere in western New York where there are puddles and there are mud and there is slush. And it's like I'm trying to like steer them through some kind of path to not create a mess because it's, it's not my mess, it's their mess. But guess what happens? Their mess becomes whose mess? My mess. And I didn't even get to have the fun to make that mess. And they're looking and they see all this mess around them and they think, oh, look at all the fun. And I'm just seeing all the not fun because I have to deal with that. I don't want to deal with someone else's mess. But this is what we recognize more often than not. We have to go through all kinds of mess if we want to be a part of impacting someone's life, don't we? Yes, we do. There is always a mess on the way to Jesus Christ, isn't there? It is usually through messes that we grow closer to Jesus Christ. You have to go through the mess. So now we come to Ruth. This chapter has mostly been about Naomi, but the book is named Ruth, right? Ruth is the star She's the hero, and she's about to come into play. Naomi tells her daughters-in-law to leave her. Oprah does the sensible thing. She's Oprah, right? Of course she does the sensible thing. She's out the door, but not Ruth. Ruth has every reason to leave this mess. It is not her own. In fact, Naomi is trying to make that happen. With Naomi, Ruth has no guaranteed future, no future husband, no guaranteed children. They have no support, no income, no provision, If she returns to her own family, she will most likely find those things. With Naomi, there is admitted bitterness and unpleasantness. There there are so many dark feelings. And more with Naomi, there is sin and embarrassment. There is what feels to be a separation from God. It is a mess, and it is not Ruth's mess. She can get out of it. And everything that we understand points for Ruth to leave. But she doesn't. She doesn't. Just because the situation is messy, just because the reality involves a lot of work, just because the individual is is difficult, Ruth still won't back down. You know what we call that? We call that faithfulness. That is faithful. Ruth is faithful. She is loyal. She is constant. She is steadfast. Ruth is 
faithful? Will we back down when people in our lives are messy? When they require work and investment from us? What about when they are difficult, knowingly difficult? When they live a lifestyle opposite to our beliefs and our desires? When they're from a different political party, different church, different religion, different whatever? When they are difficult and we don't agree with them, will we back down? Ruth didn't. She makes this incredible statement of her faithfulness to Naomi. Listen to her faithfulness again. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Are we that dedicated to the people who need us in our lives? Are we that faithful? My goal as a Christian is to be like God. I want to represent God well. I will hope that just even a piece of my actions, someone could say they are godly. In this moment, standing faithful to Naomi, Ruth is so incredibly like God because God is faithful. Deuteronomy 7.9, it says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And Psalm 119.90, Your faithfulness, God, continues through all generations. You establish the earth and it endures. God has been faithful to us, hasn't he? Forever faithful. When we are a mess, he is still faithful. When we live outside his plan, he is still faithful. When we lived against his will, when we did our own thing, when we were difficult, when our lives involved so much work, he is still faithful. And even in this moment where Naomi is an absolute mess, we see the beginning, right, of God's faithful work in our lives. When we are faithful, we are more godly than when we are opinionated, than when we are self-righteous, than when we make our stand for what we feel is right. God is faithful. And I don't know about you, but I want to be like God. So what does this mean? means that I won't back down when people are messy, when their needs involve work and investment, and even when they are incredibly, knowingly difficult and bitter. Faithfulness means not backing down. All of that brings us back to this. Who is in front of you right now? Who is in front of you? In your life, who stands before you? They may be one of your children, They may be your parents. They may be some other family member. They may be someone at school or at work, someone placed in your life here in our church or in this community, but they stand now in your life. Their life might be a mess, and that mess might be becoming your mess. They may live a lifestyle outside what you like and what you believe in. They may not use their resources, some of which even you have provided in ways that you agree with. Being involved in their life will mean work and it will mean investment. It's going to mean getting your hands 
your feet, your life dirty. And all along the way, there's a good chance they're going to be difficult. They're going to be bitter, and they're going to do it on purpose. But we won't back down. We won't back down. Yes, there are times we will set boundaries. We will, we will say to ourselves, I, don't, I want to do what is healthy for this person. Maybe not exactly what they want, but what they need. But through all of that, as we figure that out, we will be faithful. There is this wonderful thing that we can do. See, greater bodies like governments, political parties, organizations, even churches, right? They have to focus on the greater picture, the larger roles, all of that. But we, we get the wonderful opportunity to focus on the person right in front of us. To look that person in the eyes and to decide, I want to be faithful for that person. And then to figure out how that looks along the way. How can I be loving and faithful and committed to this person? As we close, I would say this. I don't know what this means for you, but this is what I'll say, and I'll encourage you in. Right now, if there's someone in your life that's difficult, they're messy, they're, they're a lot of work, I encourage you to stay faithful, stay invested, stay committed to them for their future, for their needs, for their hearts, be like Ruth and don't back down. Don't back down. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God above, God, I first want to say thank you. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to me and your faithfulness to each and every one of us. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness. May we always remember that, God, how you have been there for us when we have been difficult, when we were the mess, you were there for us. God, right now I pray over this room and I, I recognize, God, that there are those in this room right now who are possibly thinking about their children. There's someone in their life, God, who is someone they've influenced and, God, someone who's, who's just in many ways is a bit of a mess and, and, God, it is difficult, but I ask, God, that you would help them. Help that parent, that guardian to stay faithful, to stay committed God, they might have to set boundaries. They might have to make difficult decisions. They might have to do all of those things. But God, in their heart, may they recognize they're still doing it for the best for this person, for their future. May they stay faithful. God, for others of us, that person that we're thinking of, it might be our parent. It might be some other family member. God, who just needs that, needs a person to stay faithful. And God, they can be discouraging. They can be difficult. They can be bitter. But God, we can stay faithful for them. We can help them understand what it means to be a follower of you, what it means to be faithful. God, may we stand there with them. God, for many of us, we have, we have connections with people at work, at school, in the community, even here at church, people who we look across the aisle here at church at. God, it is so easy to want to give up on those people. God, sometimes they're difficult, they're bitter, they're not making decisions we like, and it's, it hurts. But God, may we remain faithful for them. May we stand by them when they need us. May we help to love them and encourage them. May we not allow that bitterness that they have to grow into our hearts for them, but may we see the love and potential that is there. May we stay committed. May we stay constant. May we stand with them. May we be faithful. God, build faithfulness in our lives. God, now as we have this opportunity to partake in communion, remind us, God, 
Remind us of the depths that you went because of your faithfulness for us. Whenever we feel ourselves become weak in our faithfulness for others, may we remember how far you went because of your love and your faithfulness for us. Bless us with that now, God. Work in our hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite our communion ushers to come forward, if they would. As they're coming forward, as we partake in communion this morning, I remind you of a few things. As a Wesleyan church, we practice open communion. That means that you do not need to be a member here or a regular attender at all. As long as Jesus is Lord of your life, as long as you you have faith in him, you are welcome. In fact, you are encouraged to partake in communion with us. We would love for that to happen. We encourage you in that. Partake with us and enjoy this moment being a part of God's family and recognizing what God has done. We want everybody who is able to partake, and so that is why in the cup it is grape juice. It's alcohol-free. We do that so everyone can partake. The cup, I'm sorry, the cracker is gluten-free. Again, that is done so that everyone who would like to can partake with us this morning. In just a few moments, I'm going to say a word of prayer, and we encourage you to use that time during that prayer to just make sure that your heart is right with God. And if you've never done that, you can say a prayer with me that I'll say that'll help you make sure that God is Lord of your life. Following the prayer, I'm going to invite you to stand. Those who are here in the front can make their way forward and lead us forward to pick up the sacrament and return to your seats. If it is by your tradition that you are more comfortable saying a word of prayer and partaking up here on the sides, you are welcome to do that. You are welcome to grab me if you need an extra word of prayer in that. But those who are able, we do encourage you to return to your seat with the cup and the cracker, and we will partake together following the song as a church family. Would you join me in a word of prayer as we prepare our hearts right now? Father in heaven, God above, God, I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you that your faithfulness meant Jesus coming into this world, suffering and sacrificing himself for me. Thank you for that faithfulness, God. I believe. I believe. God, I know in my life there have been times where I haven't been faithful. So God, with that, I ask you for your forgiveness. God, if there's anything that is unfaithful in my life right now. Anything that stands between me and you, God, having the best relationship possible, God, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would remove that from my life. You are my God. You are my Lord. May I live for you. Now, God, as I have this chance to take the bread and the cup, may I remember all that you've done for me. May I seek to live for you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us? Those in the front, when you're ready, you can come forward.